let the microphone do a good bit of work here tonight or this morning. Hopefully I can keep talking. I don't know what, I have allergy issues and I don't know, I was telling mom, I think I've hurt my vocal cords, I don't know what the problem is, but anyway, uh, talking and uh, we'll, we'll do what we can uh, here this morning. So our title of our lesson this morning is a question of authority. And Ben read from Mark chapter 11, and I would encourage you to go there because that's where we'll spend most of our time this morning. And I have a couple of questions before we begin. First of all, how do you recognize authority? Well, the reality is for all of us, it's probably on some type of a continuum. Okay? There's a very superficial recognition of authority that we'll look at here in just a few moments. But there's also a more thorough rec uh, uh, recognition of authority as well. And then we'll usually fall somewhere in between. Let me give you a couple of examples of recognizing authority to start with. <clears throat> Sometimes it's in appearance. Think about that. Sometimes appearance is a recognition of authority. Let me give you an example. George Washington is viewed incredibly favorably in part because he was six foot two. He was six foot two in a time when no one else was six foot two. George Washington's success as a military leader was checkered at best. He nearly got himself killed on countless occasions. But for whatever reason, it sort of worked out. But Washington, being tall, seemed like he knew what he was doing. We'll sometimes do that, right? He looks like he knows what he's talking about. Nah, she doesn't look like she knows what she's talking about. That's a very superficial recognition of authority. But we do that sometimes, right? That's an example. Sometimes it's in a voice. This sounded great when I wrote it. Sounded great when I wrote it. Remember that school teacher that could raise that voice just a little and you knew exactly what it meant? Remember the one that couldn't? They could go to here, to here, to here, to here, to here, and you just went higher, right? Whatever, however high they want to go, we'll go a little higher than that. Sometimes that's in a voice, right? Well, that's superficial. We kind of know what it means. Just because we get loud doesn't mean that we're proving anything. Doesn't mean that we're showing any sort of authority. Sometimes being quiet can show that as well. But that's a method of recognizing authority. But that's superficial on that continuum. Sometimes it's in qualifications. When somebody presents information to you, their status might make them more or less of an authority. Why do we listen when the doctor talks to us? Well, we listen to the doctor because this person has went through X number of years of schooling and continual education and they've probably dealt with people that had the voice problem, perhaps, that I've got right now. They might have qualifications there. That's a more thorough sort of authority. But today we're going to talk about this question of authority that was presented to Jesus. 
From the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the people seemed to fall in two different categories. There were those who recognized him as one with authority. The Bible says that on multiple occasions that Jesus taught them, not as the scribes or as the Pharisees, the Sermon on the Mount ends, but as one having authority. That's the first time we really see Jesus teaching. And it was almost as if he was like that teacher that we said that raised that voice just a little. And everybody's like, I'm going to listen to what he has to say. Bible tells us that Jesus was not anything special when it came to appearance. So that superficial George Washington look there wasn't something that caught their eye. I suspect that there were probably a hundred people in the audience today that Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount that probably looked a lot like him. About the same size, same hair color, same whatever. But Jesus taught them as one having authority. There were people that heard Jesus that probably did not recognize that he was the Son of God, but did recognize there's something unique about this person. And I'm going to go here again. There was the second category of people. There were those who rejected him, who sought to silence him. And I think the people fell in one or two of those categories. <coughs> in our scripture reading, Jesus was confronted by a group of men who had rejected him and had rejected his authority. This morning, we're going to consider that interaction. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 11, mostly 27 through 33 this morning. And I want us to think about our own lives as well. Do we submit to Jesus willingly? Do we try to ignore his authority? Or do we attempt to rationalize our decisions one way or the other? Let's talk about the first. This question of authority. I want to look at verses 27 and 28. And we read it here, and I have been just read this, but I want to look at each of these a little more in depth. Verses 27 and 28. Then they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? So we pose the question right at the beginning. <clears throat> really what we see here, though, is an attempt to discredit Jesus. This is a method that people still use even today. If we don't like what they say, then we're automatically going to discredit them. Every politician who's ever lived does that. Okay, But it's an attempt to... To discredit. Even when we look square in the face, it's an attempt to discredit. And so to start with here, this is their attempt to sort of discredit Jesus. But it's a dishonest question, right? This is a dishonest question from these people. While the question was important, and it was an important question, it wasn't honest. Jesus is well in to his ministry by this point. If you're in your book of Mark, you can flip over like two pages and Mark's done. I think there's 16 chapters in Mark. Is that correct? We're in chapter 11. So if you just measure it by the book of Mark, Jesus is probably two-thirds through his time here on earth. So he's pretty well established. This is not five seconds after the Sermon on the Mount has been delivered. And so it's a dishonest question. Their aim here was not to learn or understand the claims of Jesus. Their aim 
What's the traffic? And there's a difference in those two things. If you genuinely want to learn something, if you genuinely want to know something, you should ask the question. But this question that is being asked by them of Jesus is one that's already run through. That's already been discussed. We'll see more of that in a second. But what they are seeking here is a final piece of evidence to discredit him and to bring charges against him. Second, it's a question that had already been answered. One of the more frustrating things as a school teacher is answering that same question for the eighth time. And sometimes you fuss at the kids in the last period of the day, and they haven't done anything wrong. They just ask the question that's been asked a whole bunch of times already. But if the question has already been answered, there's usually one of two reasons, one of two reasons why people are asking it again. One, they don't know. But more likely, they weren't listening. Or maybe the answer that they heard when they was listening didn't really correspond with the answer that they wanted to have. Right? And so this question had already been answered. One reason is Jesus had already claimed, shown his authority as the Son of God. We've spent a lot of time so far on Wednesday nights talking about miracles of Jesus. And they all seem to concern, at least so, uh, so far, like they all sort of hit on when Jesus was teaching. So we're on like the seventh or eighth miracle so far. And on each of these, it's sort of like we're at this point where everybody says, why are you doing this on the Sabbath day? Right? That's the question that people are asking. Why are you doing this on the Sabbath day? They've almost forgotten what Jesus actually did, but they're questioning why he did it. For example, Mark chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. This is the story of Jesus healing the paralyzed man. Remember, we're trying to see, has this question of authority already been answered? Mark chapter 2, 6 through 11. Turn there with me. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to him, why do you reason about the, these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Now what Jesus is saying there is he was showing that he had the power to heal this man. He had the power to work as God's son. He could say to him, be healed. But he could also say to him, pick up your bed and head on home. There's an action that was there. <coughs> That's Mark chapter 2. That was nine chapters earlier than where we are. So this question that's being asked is not an honest question because it's already been answered way back when. That's the second thing. Fourth, Jesus claimed this authority to forgive sins, something only God could do in the eyes of the Jewish leaders. And that's the crux of the debate. And I'm not sure that it really matters that they believe only God had the power to do it. And more to me, I believe that what they were really concerned was that this man was sort of 
thoroughly showing his qualifications while their qualifications were superficial. Remember, these are the scribes and the Pharisees. These are people that got jobs in part because of study, but also in part because the family that they were in. Remember, it came through the tribe of Levi. And if you were in the tribe of Levi, that's how you got to be a priest. And if you was in the tribe of the others, you didn't get to. And so there were some qualifications that were a little bit superficial right there. There was a threat to these Jewish leaders that Jesus' power would supersede theirs. Number two, proof of authority. Let's go to Mark chapter 11 again, and let's read verses 29 through 32. But Jesus answered and said to them, remember this is right after they've asked him, why are you teaching this? Whose authority is it? Jesus answered and said to them, I will, excuse me, I also will ask you one question. Then answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, he'll say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for they all counted John to have been prophet indeed. So what we see here, Jesus answers their question with the question. Something that the best teachers can always do. The response is an attempt to evade. It's not an attempt to avoid the question by Jesus. But it's again, if we say that the question in verses the couple of verses earlier, 27 and 28, if we say that that question was not honest, then Jesus is not attempting to evade or to avoid, but he's turning the question around and presenting a similar question to them that they'll challenge them. In fact, what Jesus is saying is if you answer this question, then you have the answer to your question. Now, what's it mean? Well, here's where John comes into play. John uh, must have been widely accepted as a prophet of God who spoke for God. And since John had announced that Jesus was the Son of God, anyone who believed in John would then have to, by definition, believe in Jesus. You couldn't believe in one and not the other. And so whenever they realized then that they kind of got themselves into a spot here because John said, behold, I point, right? He is the coming Son of God. Of God. There's a dilemma. With this one question, Jewish leaders have been put back on their heels. You know what it means to be put back on their heels? Ever heard of that term before? Years ago, and I may have told this, and if I have, I'm sorry. Years ago, <clears throat> I was in the gym with the basketball coach from Gary County, who was a good friend of mine, whatever this was. And we were watching two kids play basketball. One kid who was on the team and one kid who was not. And the kid who was on the team made a really nice move and went and scored. And I said to the coach, I said, well, he really put him on his heels right there. Meaning he kind of turned, fell backwards, lost control of where he was. Didn't have control of the spot. And the coach said, yeah. He said, he did. And he said, the guy that's guarding him is wearing jeans and boots. And I thought, that's true. Not everybody's necessarily prepared to be in that spot right there. But sometimes we can get on our heels just a little bit. 
we can sort of get caught back. Well, that's the dilemma that's facing the Jewish leaders. They're on their heels. They either have to confess the authority of both John and Jesus, or they're going to lose credibility with the crowd. But here's the thing. They kind of lose either way, right? Because if they confess who John was, who Jesus was, then their power sort of diminishes either way. And so this thought here, this proof of authority, is a difficult one for the people who ask Jesus the question. So let's go to the last verse. Mark chapter 11, verse 33. I have a question for you, though, before we read that verse. Have you ever been asked a question in which you knew the answer, but the answer was probably bad for you? You ever been asked a question? If I tell this answer, I will be honest, I'll be correct, but I might find myself in trouble as a result. Verse 33. So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. We don't know. Jewish leaders here recognized the trap that they were in. And how did they plead? Well, they pleaded ignorance, right? I don't know. We don't know. They knew that Jesus had revealed both their inconsistencies, which is a problem, but also their insincerity of this as well. So see, inconsistent is you're sort of changing your mind. The answer is this today, but it'll be this tomorrow. Okay? You're going back and forth. Insincerity. So they weren't looking to be right. They weren't really looking for an answer, but instead they were looking to keep their power. If you look up the old English on this, this is where the term double tongue comes from. Tonkin, T-O-N-G-E-N. But they're sort of speaking out of both sides of their mouth right here. By saying we don't know, they're not answering anything, but they're being both inconsistent and insincere. How did Jesus respond? Well, Jesus said in English language today, you know, if you don't know, then I ain't telling, right? That's how we might say that here today. What we see in this final part of the verse is that Jesus acknowledges both their lack of submission to his authority, right? Jesus knows us the same way. He knows us when we reject his authority. He knows us when we try to sidestep as well. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, we read, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, right? Him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But verse 33, if I can't, whoever denies me before men, him I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So the question is, how does it apply to me? Well, like the Jewish leaders, sometimes we read the claims of Christ but still question whether it truly is He. Think about this. We can sometimes find ourselves caught in a similar dilemma. I know I should, but I'll lose power if I do. I know I should, but I won't get my way if I do. Think about some of the most sincere, see, that's not the right word. Think about some of the most focused 
teachings that Jesus presented in his time on earth. Let's consider some of these. Jesus commanded that we should both love God and our neighbor. That's hard though, right? Maybe not the God part, but the neighbor part. But he said those are equal. God who knows? He said that we should live by what we call the golden rule, right? Doing to others as you would have them doing to you kind of thing. But what if what they do unto me is not very good? I got to do the same to them. That's difficult. He teaches for us to have faith, right? He said his faith is a mustard seed, right? But then we also read, O ye of little faith in the Bible. He tells us, commands us to communicate sincerely with God, right? Go to God in prayer. Go into that other room, into that closet, whatever it might be, and take time to pray. He commands us to forgive freely, right? The question is, how many times should we forgive? And it's just over and over again, right? Seventy times seven in the right in the, in the Bible. But those things can be difficult for us because they don't always work out the way that we want them to work. And like the Jewish leaders, sometimes we reject that teaching because that's going to be harmful for us. Now, the good news for us is, is that Jesus will forgive us. We'll make a lot of mistakes going forward. And I, as much as anybody, will make those mistakes. But we're offered out an opportunity through repentance, right? But some of us won't take it. And the reason is, is because we find ourselves operating much like the Jewish leaders of their time. We'll let pride stand in the way. Sometimes we'll let fear of what others might say stand in the way. But Jesus' authority is worthy of recognizing, proving, and accepting Amen. the same that it was for the people in Mark chapter 11. If there's anything that we can do for you, any way that we can help you, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.